This is the Movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, September 26, 2019, Class of 1991 edition. Forgive my congested state. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, I'm getting a cold. I don't really care if I'm being completely honest. You're going to have to carry me on your back today, Adam. No, thank you. You're too big. Both <laughs> physically and uh, audibly. Why don't you just like like not be sick? Is it really that hard? Well, I need to fix that diet first. Well, yes, exactly. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Eat better. Yeah, once I'm not terrified of a slice of pizza, that'll be great. Terrified of a slice of pizza. I had pizza today. I had pizza for breakfast, and it was delicious. Yeah, one day. What did you have for breakfast? Uh, nothing. I had mucus. I was swallowing mucus well, here's alive. A, you know it's important to eat breakfast, Nico. You know, I hear that, but I'm never hungry in the morning. Oh, my God. No, it's true. No, but I think this is separate and apart from my own idiosyncratic eating habits. I just feel like when I get up, I'm not hungry. Strange. Are you hungry when you wake up? Usually, yeah. I just feel like uh, it just overwhelms me. But my dad is the same way. My dad doesn't eat breakfast either. I don't, I don't, I sometimes skip lunch. I'm usually not. Oh, see, I can't skip lunch. Okay, see, I am not uh, hungry, like, right as I wake up, but, like, on the drive to work, I feel hungry. Okay. So I usually eat something at work. And, uh, yeah, that's that's usually more important to me than anything at lunch. I, feel, I find myself capable of skipping lunch. I can't skip dinner, though. Okay. So I don't really have meals because, of course, I'm a freak. Yes, uh, but accurate. Lunch is definitely one I have to stick to. But yeah, it takes me a few hours. I think when I'm tired, I'm not hungry. And mornings are just not my time. I'm always very tired in the morning. Yeah, your body is still like kind of coming down from that fasting stage anyway. Yeah. Where it doesn't care to eat. Yeah. So yeah. That being said, like, I'll midnight snack the fuck out of anybody. <laughs> I will midnight snack you to the ground. I feel like this is not helping your case, though. This is still a problem. <laughs> I'm not making a case. I'm just saying that's my life. Yeah, well, that's not a good... And that's, that's why I have a common cold right now. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's an upsetting, depressing, horrible life you got there. <laughs> Snacking. Why, at, thank you? Yes. No, well, it's not a compliment. Moron. <laughs> I, feel good, I feel good having not killed myself. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, let's talk about movies. Okay. Let's Adam. Do, is that why we're here? We are here. Oh, yeah. Talk movies. And the movies in 1991. But first, um, I went to the movie theater last night. Went to the cinema. What, did you see Rambo? Did not see Rambo. <laughs> last Blood. <laughs> Apparently, it's awful. <laughs> I saw a movie. Okay. Called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh. Boo. Second time! Boo. I'm... And I have an announcement to make. What's your announcement? third best tarantino movie once upon a time in hollywood it's over okay wrap it up put a bow on this shit number three movie that nobody's talking about pulp fiction (laughs) reservoir dogs once upon a time in hollywood i just want to let you know you missed the mark and you'll realize sooner rather than later that you missed sometimes you just have bad takes (laughs) sometimes you just miss and often you have bad takes often (laughs) great often very bad takes uh you made the same mistake with manchester by the sea remember that uh yeah i i i needed to go back and see that movie you did you have to go back and see once upon a time in hollywood i I had the urge to go back and watch manchester by the sea i did not have that experience with once upon a time in hollywood so i don't know how you can possibly be so cynical about this movie i don't get it it's fine. What man. is there to be cynical it's about? It's fine. Though? It's it's okay. No, but you've approached it with this just I this was, fine-tuned comb. I was for very everything. excited to see it, and it you know it was a little disappointing. 
You know, you're just wrong. I saw it a second time. It it's better the second time. Don't you love that argument? You're just wrong. It's better the second. <laughs> Here's what I think I realized, and all the critics, all the cynical critics that didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the first time, you were expecting a different movie. You were watching a different movie than the movie Tarantino was making. It's not that I have an issue with the movie that he was making, though. I, no, I just think you didn't know what you were getting yourself into. So when you were in the theater, the pacing and its focus seemed a little jarring. But you go back a second time and you realize, oh, this is not a movie about Charlie Manson at all. This I is a movie about Hollywood in decay. Uh, there's a lot more to love. I also read the reviews going in, so I knew exactly what it was going to be. And I also heard plenty from you as to what it was going to be. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting, great. Uh, I'll, I'll adjust to a to a you know slow slower a little more meandering uh, Tarantino movie, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I just don't care. <laughs> this is legitimately one of the best movies of the last ten years. Oh, you're an idiot. It is. You're. It's f- legitimately one of the best movies of the last decade. Go to hell. It is right up there, dude. What are you? Movie's talk- incredible. What are you talking about? It's one of the best. Dude, movies. the sense of place that this movie has. Oh my god! I, every detail. There are plenty of better movies out there that have better senses of place. And the things like the character work that Tarantino does here is so good. These performances are so captivating. It's such an immersive movie, and it's very funny on the second viewing, by the way. Sure. Are these the performances that we're going to like like latch on to for a while? Yes. I disagree. Hopefully the performances that take home the Oscars at the end of the year. They could. I certainly hope they do. I haven't I seen anything anywhere close to this. Brad Pitt's probably going to take something home. I certainly hope. He better, anyway. I certainly hope. Uh, but unless it'd be nice if Joaquin Phoenix took home an Oscar for the Joker. Dude, Leo is so yes, fucking I, good in this. I, I I agree. He's so pathetic. Sure. He's such a pathetic character. I don't know if that this again. And then I get to the end and he's he tells Brad Pitt, You're a good friend, Cliff. That's like a great movie moment. Mm-hmm. That's just such an emotional moment. That's, that's nice. You need to see it a second time. Cinema's dead though, man. How dare you? Cinema's fucking dead. Nobody talks about movies anymore. No, I know There's that. There's a reason why like, very, very few people have ever ta- talked to me about this new Tarantino film, which is shocking to me five years ago. And it's the same reason why no one talked about Us and why that movie has vanished. Yeah, but people saw Us, though. <laughs> it it does very well at the box office. We have data to say people saw Us. It doesn't matter, though. Where's the excitement? Well, I don't think Us was... Like garnered a lot of excitement just in general. Exactly. I don't think people liked us all that much. That's, that's part of the problem. And I would say, but I'm, again, even this, I'm kind of saying the same about. There's a lot of like build up to movies now, but as far as like discussion and and, and enjoyment after the fact, it's not really there. I certainly yeah. certainly didn't get that from Once Upon a Time. Well, that I think is a great point. Is the discussion seems to end five days after it comes out. Mm-hmm. I have seen more discussion online about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In my circles, though, as compared Sli- to anything else. Slightly. There's been a lot of discussion. Yeah. And not always for the best. Like, there was the Bruce Lee controversy, and there was the Sharon Tate yeah. controversy. And that stuff seemed to hang around for, like, five yeah. weeks at a time. But, but I just feel like nothing permeates anymore. Well, television does. Game what? of Thrones certainly did. Well, that's different. I'm not talking about television. I'm just talking about a film. And by the way, Game of Thrones is dead. <laughs> fucking dead and it was nuked off the face of the earth after season eight it just won best drama at the emmys and i think a lot of people were like what that was a bizarre choice what i'll admit <laughs> like i figured it would win but it's just clearly not the best show on tv no clearly <laughs> not even fucking close dude have you checked out succession yet no can you do this please succession for our friendship 
Succession. I've actually heard about it. It's apparently it's fantastic. It is. Um, so here's the problem. So no one in my life watches this show, so I can't talk to anybody about it except for my dad. That's it. And I need someone just to say I'm not crazy when I say I'm watching one of the greatest television shows of all time. Okay. That's what I need. I, I got too much on my plate, man. I'm slowly chucking away at uh, fucking uh, uh, Twin Peaks. Still, oh really? I'm getting. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm all. I, I'm. I'm like a like a. I don't know, like a quarter of the way done with season two. So yeah. Well, you're gonna get into the dog days of Twin Peaks pretty soon. It's as of now. It's just kind of. It's. It's cool, I guess. You got to make it through. You got to power through. Yeah. Once you get over that hump and you get to season three, it's just glorious. All right, all right. Yeah. Which I'm very excited for. I have told literally everyone in my life to watch Succession, and no one will listen to me. But no one even gives it a try because they. I feel like I don't know. It's not zeitgeisty enough. It's it's. They won't feel like they're losing out on the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why everyone watched Game of Thrones is because they wanted to participate with their friends. But Succession, just no one's trusting me on this. But you all need to watch this show because. Seriously, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen on TV before. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Okay. Brian Cox, baby. Oh, I like Brian Cox. Holly Hunter. Mm. Holly Hunter in season two. No, you just love Holly Hunter. So good! But who doesn't love Holly Hunter? Incredible cast. <laughs> Kieran Culkin. Oh, really? My favorite Culkin. Is that your favorite Culkin? Oh, please. All right. Are you kidding me? Kieran and Culkin. Kieran, Rory, and, and McCulley are the three. Kiernan, is he the one with the black hair? Uh, no, lo- uh, no, not not anymore. Maybe at one point he had black hair. Like the one, he's the one in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh God, I don't remember. The gay f- roommate. I think he might have been. Yeah, 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 def- yeah, yeah. It's got to yeah, be yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite characters in that movie. So there you go. Maybe he is my favorite. Also, Alan Ruck, <laughs> the great Alan Ruck, <laughs> who you just talked about on Twister. So good. Yeah. Succession. All right, all right, he's killing it, dude. It's gonna take me a long time to get there. All right, one day. Yeah, let's talk about 1990. Oh, I oh I saw another movie actually. I wanted to bring this up. What'd you see? Um, I saw a movie called The End of the Tour. Okay. Um, it has Jason Segel and Jesse Eisenberg. Um, and uh, it's a movie about David Foster Wallace, the actor or oh, the really? the author. I'm sorry. Oh, I heard about this movie. He wrote Infinite Jest. Yeah, that's right. Um, and killed himself very tragically in 2008. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that takes place in like the late 90s. And Jesse Eisenberg plays a writer for Rolling Stone that's following him around on a book tour and profiling him for the magazine. Um, in a long lineage of like movies about magazine writers following famous figures it's with almost famous and now this new mr rogers movie yeah (laughs) they're all sort of in the same lineage um nothing happens in this movie it is all conversation okay it is all dialogue could have been a play um a very sweet and touching movie though all right a24 movie by the way interesting okay yeah this isn't my cup of tea yeah i think it might be your cup of tea actually yeah yeah I think you would identify with these characters a lot. All right, all right. Because um, they're kind of two socially awkward loner types. Okay. Um, what are you saying, Nico? Well, you know exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> that, <laughs> that have a hard time relating to people. I don't have a hard time relating to people. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> let this podcast be evidence to the contrary, my friend. Uh, um, <laughs> Stay away from Adam Hall. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I present to you 
the controversy surrounding E.T. and Blade Runner. Uh, Jason Siegel is flooring in this movie. He's really good. Okay. He's like shockingly good as David Foster Wallace. He's not um, a huge uh, Jason Siegel fan, generally speaking. But. Nor am I. Nor am I a Jesse Eisenberg fan these days. I feel like he's... Not these days, no. No, he's kind of into self-parody at this point. Because I think he only had like the social network to work from, and that was it. Where he's just playing himself. He's playing like a hyper-realized version of well, himself. Well, I think it, we're, in, in hindsight, he's playing himself. But I think we always uh, cite that movie because of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ye- I feel like the, the Jesse Eisenberg archetype was created there. And then it stops. But see, I've seen Jesse Eisenberg movies from before Social Network. and I don't think it's quite the same. Like uh, The Squid and the Whale, a Noah Baumbach movie. Oh. He's very Jesse Eisenberg in that. Uh, no, End of the Tour I would highly recommend. My brother watched it because he's like really into psychology and movies like this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you, you need to see it immediately. It was like one of his favorite movies of the last couple of years. Very good. On Netflix, End of the Tour. Oh, boy. Okay. There we go. Should we talk 1991? Sure. All right. Here are your six nominees. Actually, how about you read them this time? Because I have a cold. You need to oh. carry my weight. You know what? No. I'm going to blow my <laughs> nose <laughs> as you read those. All right. The nominees are Beauty and the Beast, What About Bob, Barton Fink, JFK, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and, of course, The Silence of the Lambs. One of those six getting into the Movie Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Um, one of those rare years where I think we look at the list and we just agree... One of them's getting in. Well, there's, there's closer than you think. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. I think so. Okay. Well, I'm dead set on what about Bob, so. No, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> no discussion. What okay. about just Bob? Put it in right now. Uh, highest grossing movie of that year, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Followed by Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Beauty and the Beast, Hook, and The Silence of the Lambs at number five. And at the Oscars, of course, uh, it's one of those rare, clean sweep years. Silence of the Lambs takes home Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Rightfully uh, so. Yeah, I would I would say so. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. Uh, Jack Palance takes home Best Supporting Actor for City Slickers. I've never seen that movie. City Slickers. Oh, Wait, is that that's the uh, one with Billy Crystal? Yes, right. I haven't seen it either. Yeah, I can't comment. And Mercedes Rule takes on Best Supporting Actress for The Fisher King. I don't remember that performance at all. Which is another movie I have not seen. Yeah, I almost made you watch it, but I just think it's too stacked of a year. Okay. What I realize it's a very stacked year, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, I was gonna say it's actually quite good. There's a stretch from like ninety one to ninety four, which I would put up with. Dude, the 90s are just awesome. I, I, I would say all of the 90s is just a great decade for film. Yeah. I was scrolling through 93, mm. and I don't know what the fuck we're going to do about that year. I know about this year, too. Because there's a lot of great movies. Do you want to do 93 coming up, or are we going to have to save that for later? Uh, I think we've spent too much time in the 90s lately. Okay. But we'll return to it at some point. Okay, okay. But 93 and 94, there are way more than six good nominees. I know. Oh, we haven't done 94 yet. Shit. Yeah, that we're putting in our back pockets. That's a bad one. Yeah. That's a have, bad one. We're going to have a... We're going to wait till it gets more contentious. Okay. When we're no longer in peace times. Okay. <laughs> Uh, worst picture that year goes to Hudson Hawk. What the hell is Hudson Hawk? Don't know. Is that a Bruce Willis movie? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think it's a Bruce Willis movie. Oh, poor. By Bruce the way, Willis. great list of worst actor nominees. <laughs> 
You have Bruce Willis for Hudson Hawk. Vanilla Ice for Cold as Ice. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone for the movie Oscar. All right. Andrew Dice Clay for the movie Dice Rules. Are you kidding me? And your winner is Kevin Costner, not for JFK, but Robin Hood, well, uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. That's a very famous win, by the way. By, is it? By Kevin, yeah, yeah. Wide, widely accepted as one of the worst uh, performances uh, of all time. Oh, really? Wow. At least worst accents ever. Ah. Everyone, it's like it's like people stacked it up next to Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins as the worst accent in film. See, I actually think, wow, that's funny that you said Costner. Because Costner in 13 Days, you ever seen that movie? No. His Boston accent, he plays JFK's chief of staff. It's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. Could be even worse. Really? So bad. (laughs) That would have been my candidate for worst movie accent is Kevin Costner in 13 Days. (laughs) You just hate Kevin Costner, period. I do, but I think it's a recurring thing. I don't think I'm off on that. He's not. He's not that great. Also, your girl Sean Young wins worst actress for a movie called Kiss Before Dying. Yeah, well, Sean Young ain't that great, generally speaking. Uh, how dare you insult Sean Young, star of Blade Runner? It's it's more, I'm more citing I think Ace Ventura, <laughs> where I'm just like, like I kind of li- I like her in Blade Runner for what she's supposed to be doing, but then in Ace Ventura I'm like, what, what? Wonderful what the, movie. What the fuck is this? Oh God, I fucking love Ace Ventura, <laughs> but I, I think she's the strangest part of that thing, and that's saying something. <laughs> that certainly is. Uh, honorable mentions. Here are some movies from 1991. Cape Fear. I like Cape Fear. I know you don't. I do not like Cape Fear. Yeah, I, I like think it. it's way too over the top. <laughs> and I hate Nick Nolte in it. And I hate De Niro. It's a Hitchcock movie, dude. It's supposed to be that way. Yeah, but it's Scorsese doing it. So it's even worse. I don't think it doesn't work. To where Max Cady like, <laughs> grabs onto the bottom of the car mm-hmm. and somehow rides his way <laughs> to the family's vacation getaway. Yeah. So stupid. I love it. Another terrible movie accent. Is it? De Niro. Is it a terrible... I don't think it's a terrible movie accent. Come on, dude. Nah, I disagree. I th- I really like... Cape Fear's fun. Uh, here's another fun movie, Point Break. Yeah, a really fun movie by Catherine Bigelow. So weird she made that, huh? I know. Yeah, she's made a lot of interesting movies. Like, more movies than you think. She yeah. made one with Willem Dafoe where he's like a biker. It's like his first movie. I haven't seen it, though. Apparently, it's pretty good. Uh, the Fisher King, we mentioned uh, Hook. Dustin Hoffman. Robin Williams, Peter Pan. Uh, City Slickers, I, I wrote down. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, I also wrote down. Haven't seen, though. Uh, fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, Fried Green Tomatoes, <laughs> a movie that I, I, I oddly love. Really? Yeah, I like that movie. It's a sweet movie. Yeah, it's kind of like pre-Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants yeah, yeah, vibes, right? Yeah. Uh, Oliver Stone movie that we did not nominate called The Doors. Mm-hmm. Man, will I ride for The Doors. That is we a fun-ass biopic, dude. Weird-ass biopic. Val Kilmer. Yeah, I know. He's awesome in that Kills movie. That. I mean, it's incredible. What is it with like actors just being very good at playing rock stars? There's a ton of them out there. Well, it's such like a fun role to play, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because even when the movie's like not particularly good, that, that performance is usually like kind of on point. Like I, I notoriously don't really care for Ray. Yeah. But I think Jamie Foxx is incredible. He's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's the one type of person that is a cartoon character both in real life and in portrayals of themselves. So it's easier? Yeah. We just accept them as caricatures in life so why not when an actor can go way over the top and we believe it mm-hmm. you know of course freddie mercury did that uh, you know of uh uh of course elton john would dress like that 
Which I guess is why I have some more appreciation for Walk the Line. I think the more I think about that movie, the more I like it. I like it a lot. I really like it. And Joaquin Phoenix is just so great. Yeah, he was born to play that role. He's so good. That and Joker, and that's about yeah. it, right? <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> what a range. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Cash to the Joker. Yeah, I, I get it. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, New Jack City is a fun little movie with Wesley Snipes that I love. I have not seen it. Uh, I wrote down The Rocketeer, which I have not seen. I have not seen it. Either. That's an early superhero movie. Same guy that did... It's Joe Johnston. Yeah. Captain America, mm. The Winter Soldier. No, not, I'm sorry. The original Captain America, The First Avenger. He also made Jurassic Park 3. Right. The worst Jurassic Park movie. No. No shit. No. Really? <laughs> not even close. I haven't seen Jurassic World 2. Woo! Really? Bad. Oh, bad, no. bad, 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 bad. I didn't bother. Yeah. You have no idea. That movie is fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then two movies that I I just really regret not nominating. What's that? I just feel bad that I didn't put Boys in the Hood or Thumb oh. Louise on here. Oh, well, we had this discussion. You, you, But, you know, you saw JFK and you're like, nope, I got to <laughs> do it. Even though, you know what? I kind of agree. We probably should have had at least one of those movies. At on least it. one. Yeah. They're both awesome, iconic movies. Yeah, of course. You know, I maybe could have taken out What About Bob, but I legitimately, that's one of my two or three favorite movies of the year. I really love it. I mean, I love it too, but I don't think it's, it, it should be a substitute for those. The, look, that was on you to put Thelma and Louise. You're the Ridley Scott guy. What were my, no- my nominees were Beauty and the Beast, uh, Barton Fink, Barton and, Fink and, Silence. and Silence of the Lambs. So I, 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 I got good nominees, okay? You could have gotten rid of What About Bob. Strong year. Yes. Deep year. That's w- Both these things should be nominated. I'm sorry. We, well, we could have done a bigger list. <laughs> well, we'll find an excuse to put them on at some point. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll do like a road trip movie for Thumb and Louise. We'll do all road movies. Yeah, but then Fury Road's just going to win. <laughs> oh, um, National Film Registry, by the way, disagrees with our nominations because I'm they sure. said <laughs> Boys in the Hood, Thumb and Louise, Beauty and the Beast, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, so I can't argue. Terminator 2's not on there yet? No. What? No, not there yet. That's weird. I believe the original is, but not that one. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. And that's all I have. So let's get into it. Let's do it. And talk about your first nominee, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Directed by Gary Trosdale and Kirk Wise, nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, by the way. The first ever animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Rightfully so. This film has that distinction. And Best Sound, winner of Best Original Song and Best Original Score. AFI says it is the number 34 love story of all time. 62 on their movie songs list. 22 on their movie musical list. And number 7 on their animated films list. A prince cursed to spend his days as a hideous monster sets out to regain his humanity by earning a young woman's love, <laughs> explain this nomination. What do you mean explain this nomination? Just tell me why you put it on. This is an incredible film. Yeah. This is my favorite animated film. Wow. Yeah, it's either that or, I suppose, Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> what? I'll put Fantastic Fox in my, Fantastic Mr. Fox in my top five. Uh, but t- Toy Story is probably higher than that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, a single I, Pixar movie there? I, I just love uh, watching you squirm. Uh-oh. But... Uh, I actually don't mind Fantastic. I know that, which is so funny to me. But <laughs> well, because like Wes Anderson's movies are all cartoons, yeah. we just might as well put talking foxes in them. Yeah. Why not? It's great. No, I, the, that movie is awesome. I don't ever want to hear someone talk shit about that film. I love it. Yeah, I don't mind it. That being said, yes, this is I think my favorite animated film and one of the an, one, an important childhood film growing up, but also just like one of the most beautiful films ever made. 
So this is the first Disney movie. I'm sorry, the second behind the Rescuers Down Under, a movie that no one remembers. I remember that movie. Do you? Of course, mice. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah, of course I did. I saw it a lot. Really? Yeah. Is this part of the Renaissance? Uh, Yeah, I believe it is. Um, But this was the second movie to use the Caps. C-A-P-S animation software. Okay. This was designed, I guess, by Pixar for Disney. I see. Uh, to be able to animate things more smoothly. All right. Um, that's why you get such a distinctive look in that ballroom scene mm-hmm. where the camera seems to... There's no camera, but it seems to pan around the room and up to the chandelier and back down again, and the background looks three-dimensional. Um, it was a very an- uh, innovative movie in terms of animation, yeah. um, and I think that's why you say it's such a gorgeous movie, um, because it is. I think it could be the most visually stunning Disney movie ever made. Oh, yeah. It's, apart from just the – I mean everything about the movie. It's one of those things that like I I could show to people interested in film and have them watch that as, to get a sense of place and get a sense of atmosphere and, and, and just like like it's set, setting up your story in, in an interesting and sort of like gothic way. Yeah. I really love the finale where they're on the rooftops. It's just – it's it's exciting. Yeah. And it's, again, not something that you that I, I guess predict in an animated film, generally speaking. I don't generally go into an animated film and feel like I'm going to get the same level of exciting thrills that are as engaging for me as like 2049. But this hits those marks for me, absolutely. And you know how much I love that movie. Yeah, what I call it a thrilling movie. Um, I guess. I mean, its climax is certainly thrilling. I, I find I find the story to be deeply affecting. Really? Yeah. See, I'm not as much of a sucker for the story. Mm. Uh, I think you sort of see it on its surface, and it's like, oh, whatever. Like, guy is cursed by witch, falls in love with princess, <laughs> and kills the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me is like it, it's deeply whatever. I just feel like I've heard it a million times before with Disney. Okay. Well, I don't care about that. I'm just talking about the way it's done. Yeah, at the end of the and I, I say that a lot. Like at the end of the day, as long as you can present it the the right way, I don't know if it's been done better than that. Um, I like, yeah, I, I I just think you're you're right. It's the animation and it's the presentation and it's the music and it's the vibe that really sells this movie. Yes. Um. There's something very mythic about it. Mm-hmm. There's something, when you see it, the way that that castle looks, yeah. the way that it's lit. For, I know we're talking about cartoons, but the lighting, the set design, the cinematography, if those were real things, uh, yeah, it's just a visually stunning fairy tale. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why the remake did so well. Mm-hmm. Like The remake is one of like the highest grossing movies of all time. I know, which it? is kind of surprising, actually. Yeah, it's in the top 10, but like you see this and you think, oh, this is something different Mm -hmm. this isn't just like a fox dressed as robin hood (laughs) swinging through the forest Mm -hmm. you know this isn't just the little mermaid this isn't although those are all fine movies aladdin is another one something about the visual style of beauty and the beast elevates it and i think that's why it got such critical love there's like a like a level of like like i don't know it's it 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 hits like a like a prestige level here that i think other animated films generally did not and i don't necessarily mean because of the aesthetics, but it just feels a little more confident and mature in a weird way, even though the film is very funny at times and and dynamic. But at at the same time, I remember watching it and finding it kind of scary as a kid. Oh, yeah, sure. Like really, really scary. But I sort of love that. And especially on repeat viewings, I'm just like, this movie kind of has it all. It's a nice, flavorful piece in that way, but it never feels uneven or off or inconsistent. Yeah, it sort of has a maturity to it. Um, I I think so. Maybe just because... The genre, like the costume 
drama style of it sort of elevates it. Yes. Like, there's an added importance to the set design. There's an added importance to who these characters are. And you're dealing with royalty, although a lot of other Disney movies have dealt with royalty. <laughs> Pretty much all of them. All of them have. Uh, this one just feels like, you know, PBS could have done it. Mm-hmm. And it, and, it, uh, and that I mean as a compliment. Like, there's... You imagine that great actors would be performing this material if it were like a stage play. Sure. You know? I get, but the, the royalty in this element is interesting because it's kind of a sad aspect of the story. Sure. Like the fact that this guy is royal is sort of what doomed him to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And where he's stuck now, like the castle is not like this romantic place. It's a prison. It's Yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's like a horror castle. It's not some place that you want to be, but it's ultimately transformed because of his relationship with Belle. Yeah. Favorite Disney princess, by the way. Yeah, I think you're right about that, by the way. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I like brunettes. What do you want? Sure. <laughs> uh, you watch this a lot as a kid? Yeah. God, yeah. Huh. It was like this and The Lion King. Really? And this Lion King's probably number two. I remember this being the only Disney princess movie that really meant anything to me. Hmm. I remember that. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah. Uh, just like most of those, I guess Snow White. I enjoyed. Yeah, I guess. But Cinderella, uh, even even something like Mulan, which came a little later, I was just like, ah, these movies are too girly for me. (laughs) These movies are not made for me, I felt like. And that's why I buried myself in Lion King and I buried myself in the Pixar movies. Um, But this one, for some reason, felt special. Yeah. And I don't know, again, what it is. I can't exactly put my finger on it. But there was something elevated, and I remember seeing that movie and thinking, oh, I'm watching something significant. I'm watching a movie that matters. Yeah. Well, this feels like feels like it just appeals to like everybody Yeah. in that way. Like, again, because I, I could see where you might have those feelings for something like Mulan. I mean, that's kind of what Mulan has always been about, and especially The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid right. is like the girl animated film. Right. And now we're going to sound sexist for saying this. No, thing. I'm just speaking but, as a kid. You don't, yes, you're not able yes, to... Yes. You don't understand feminist theory as a 13-year-old, <laughs> no. as an 8-year-old, you know? it's But but it doesn't – in this case, I don't think it matters. It's just that that story here, again, even if it's been done before, the way it's done here is what's important. And it's just like you you, you love these people. Yeah. You, you, and you love what they have to go through and you're interested to see how they're going to get out of this alive or how they're going to come together in the end. And it's like, again, told like – like it, it could have been a live-action movie. And it was. Yes. And it did very well. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but... I've seen it. Oh, yeah? Did you like it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually like the Cinderella remake. Oh, I didn't see that one either. Yeah, I actually think it's it's not that bad. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Kenneth Branagh did it. Of course. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Perfect material for him. Leave him alone, Nico. Let him do his thing. I got nothing... Dude, the dude loves Shakespeare. I don't... <laughs> who am I to begrudge? <laughs> Uh, I do want to mention too This movie won Best comedy musical At the Golden Globes First animated movie To ever do it Okay uh, Just pretty nuts This movie was a Huge deal when it came out Yeah And has had staying power I think for oh. A good reason oh, it's, it's one of the more Iconic films On this list Yeah If not the most uh, I think it's a worthy Nomination yes. For sure I agree uh, and, you know, we talk about these Disney Renaissance movies on this show, and I just get so much nostalgia. Oh, God, yeah. And I almost have a hard time gauging how good the movie actually is. <laughs> yeah. Because you have so much bias, you mean? Right. It's like this movie is something more to me than just a movie. I didn't view it as a movie as a kid. I viewed it as an adventure. Sure, yeah. You it's know? Kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fuck off, dude. 
Come off your fucking high horse. We were in peace times, and all of a sudden, you're bashing what is far and away the best movie of the year, and no one's arguing it. Uh, no one's arguing it. No, I disagree. Oh, stop it. No, no, I disagree. Give me one name. Midsummer's better. Oh, first of all, get up right now. I don't need to deal with this. No, Midsummer's so this much better. This is my studio, motherfucker. Midsummer's I don't have to sit here for this. Oh. Midsummer is better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Are you kidding? You're insane. Not even close. Dude, you're insane. Not even remotely close. Fucking you and Jabril got to come off it, man. <laughs> this movie's so good. <laughs> I like the movie, for Christ's sake. I said I like the movie. I'm just not like... I just uh, want you to acknowledge it, that... Oh, it's a masterpiece? It's a no, masterpiece. it's not. That's all I'm looking for. <laughs> With that many flaws, it's a masterpiece? Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's talk What About Bob Yes let's talk about What About Bob Directed by Frank Oz Yoda himself That's right Starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfus, mm-hmm. A successful psychotherapist loses his mind After one of his most dependent patients An obsessive compulsive neurotic Tracks him down during his family vacation You know <laughs> I nominated this movie Yes you did and I don't regret it because I think it's a great comedy. Oh, yes. Of course it is. It's a really good comedy. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's kind of underrated. I don't feel like people talk about this enough. I feel like it's grown a bit more. I feel like a lot of people I know know about the film. Abby introduced me to this film, actually. Really? Yeah. She 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 had a feeling that uh, I would like it because she quite loves it. It's like yeah. one of the films I guess she grew up with. But I was like, oh, cool. I, I'll see it. I love Richard Dreyfuss. And of course, I love Bill Murray. So let's see what this is about. And it's like my kind of comedy. Yeah. Because it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's absurd and a little over the top, but it's it's about a character driving another character insane. It's very dark. And it's dark, yes. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly dark. It is a character unraveling, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, it's a PG comedy, and Bill Murray's in it, and it is cartoonish, for sure. But, yeah, there's a scene in this movie where Richard Dreyfus tries murdering Bill Murray. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> you just won't go away. <laughs> just chasing him around with a fucking axe. Uh, yes, he got, he's got a shotgun. Yeah. He, he's, and he's pointing him in the woods. <laughs> he puts dynamite on him. <laughs> he wants to incinerate him. I'm going to kill you, Bob. <laughs> First, uh, we'll eat the cake, and then we'll eat Bob. <laughs> uh, here's what makes this movie sing. Here's my theory about it, because I just read this in my research. Oh, gee. Um, Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss admitted, both separately, that they did not get along during the filming of this movie. Uh, Here's the quote from Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, this is... I love these stories. Fucking love this quote. How about it? Funny movie. Terribly unpleasant experience. We didn't get along, me and Bill Murray. But I've got to give it to him. I don't like him, but he makes me laugh even now and again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Richard Dreyfuss. So, I guess, like... Murray went very method with it. Yeah. So he just took every opportunity, kind of like Jim Carrey on Man on the Moon. Mm -hmm. He just nagged Dreyfus every chance he got. Yeah. Physically harassed him, got flat out wasted on set. Yep. And just like screamed obscenities at him. Mm -hmm. And Dreyfus, who I wouldn't classify as a comedic actor at all, um, I, I just... Didn't, I don't think he was prepared for this. No. I don't think he was prepared for this level of shenanigans. Well, it's of Bill Murray, of all people, like this this sort of like sweet, hilarious, chummy guy, and just turns out to be a fucking asshole. Right. 
calls him like like Dreyfus called him like a bully, a drunken Irish bully. Yeah, he threw, he threw ashtrays at him <laughs> for no reason, just to just to psych him up, get him into character, as if Richard Dreyfus needed to be psyched up. Right, which is my that's my 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 problem with Bill Murray's method. I was like, Richard Dreyfus is such a better actor. <laughs> you think? In every yeah yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's. It would have been possible for Bill Murray to go to some of the places that Richard Dreyfus had to go to. I think that's close. I do think Dreyfus is a better has a better performance in this. Yes, for sure. Well, it's a harder performance. It's yes. a yeah. It's a tight wire act mm-hmm. that he has to do, and Murray just gets to play straight man in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, but I can't argue with the method because it definitely worked. Sure. Like I feel like that tension is very palpable. Maybe. And one of the things about this movie is. As likable as Bill Murray is, and he's a very likable guy as he is in most movies he's in, you sympathize with Dreyfus through and through. Oh, God, yeah. You understand why he wants to murder him in the woods. <laughs> Which is a sick thought. Like, why am I sympathizing with this guy, but I have to? Yeah. I don't see any other option here. This guy needs to die. Right. It's that kind of thing. It's an interesting question, though. Yeah. That the film poses, though. It's like, how would you behave in a situation like this? Right. The the problem is that there would never be anybody this crazy or someone willing to go through the lengths that Bob goes through. Right. But it is funny nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously. I mean, it's an over-the-top broad comedy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like it puts you in the headspace of like a therapist in many ways. <laughs> like It must be... Like, you know, obviously people have serious problems and you shouldn't trivialize their problems for the sake of comedy. But also, like, it's got to be really fucking annoying sitting in a therapist office all day talking to crazy people. Sure. It's really got to suck. Well, you had guys like Bob all day. I've never been a therapist before, but if I if I ever was. Thank God. You know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to come across a guy like this. Baby steps, Bob. Baby <laughs> steps off the door. <laughs> Baby steps on the elevator. What's the, what's the death theory he was talking about at the end? It's just the oh, funniest thing. There's so many great quotes where he just misconstrues what Dreyfus is saying. Right. And it's just the funniest thing. I love the interview sequence. Oh, it's so good. One of the funniest things in the entire movie where he just takes over his spot on, on the television. And he, Dreyfus gets like one word <laughs> about his book. Right. It comes out this time. And he's like, thank you. Now let me keep talking. Yeah. It's great. Well, people fall in love with Bob. That's the thing. And you understand why. Yeah. Like you understand why Dreyfus would be kind of uh, a prude and, and or a uh, sort of a, a curmudgeonly old man and why Bill Murray would be so beloved by his family because mm-hmm. Dreyfus's family absolutely loves Bill Murray in the movie um, but the movie does pull off this great miracle where you're rooting for Dreyfus to kill Bob <laughs> and yeah that's why this movie for me is an elevated comedy it could have easily been silly and in many ways it is silly oh God, yeah, it but is. it has this dark angst at the bottom of it mm-hmm. that just sings for me no i agree it's it's one of the more pleasant surprises that i've actually gone back and rewatched with abby again too yeah, yeah. so we watch it every once in a while now it's yeah. like what do you feel like watching it's like as a good fallback what about bob sure sure yeah very rewatchable movie yeah, i agree i'll flip it on whenever it's on cable yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh legitimately one of my favorite movies of the year i don't think it changed much about hollywood or about the culture no and it's kind of like a forgotten gem in many ways. I was going to say, more than anything, I think it's just a really, really nice forgotten gem, which is why it's nice to have it on this list anyway, because it's like, would we have talked about this otherwise? Probably not. I do think it's one of the six best movies of the year, though. <laughs> I'd put it in the top six. I mean, it's not better than Thelma Louise, man. <laughs> you could have done it, man. You could have put it on. 
If you had not peek behind the curtain, if you had nominated Thelma and Louise, I would have felt an obligation to put Barton Fink on. Okay. So you could have put you, but then I have to. You know, whatever. I love what about Bob? Yeah, so do I. I love it too. It's it's nice that we actually uh, discussed it. Yeah, I'm just saying. One day we'll do Thelma and Louise. Okay. <laughs> road movies very soon. Have you seen Paper Moon? If we're talking about road movies, oh my god, I love Paper Moon. Me too. Oh my god, I love Paper Moon. Dude, she's so good in that movie. <laughs> Tatum O'Neill. Tatum is so. I mean, her father's great, yeah. but. Tatum is unbelievable. Oh my god! I think one of the best father-daughter movies I've ever seen. It's the best father. I think father you're, daughter, yeah, daughter. I, think you're right. I mean, it's not even close, man. You still owe me two hundred dollars. Fuck you! He doesn't <laughs> say that, but he throws his hat down, and it's great. Now eat your Coney Island. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be a good podcast. Road movies. I love, love, love Paper Moon. Let's do it. You want to move on to Barton Fink? Yeah, why not? Why not? Joel and Ethan Cohen did this mm, movie. Little little movie, yep. Stars John Turturro, John Goodman, Judy Davis, Michael Lerner, Tony Shalhoub. I know. John Polito and uh, and Steve Buscemi as the bellhop. Great, great cast. Also important to note: first movie you, where they used a cinematographer, Roger Deakins. Really? Yep. Oh, it shows. Mm-hmm. Did Deakins do anything of note before this? He did uh, 1984, and he did Sid and Nancy. Okay. Really? And if you see Sid and Nancy, it's like, whoa, really? Deacons did Sid and Nancy? Yep. Wow, that's very undeacons. I know. Huh, okay. Well, that makes perfect sense, though, because this is actually one of the most visually striking Coen <laughs> Brothers movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Michael Lerner got that nomination along with Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. How it doesn't win Best Art Direction, I will never know. Uh, <laughs> a renowned New York playwright is enticed to California to write movies, or write for the movies, and discovers the hellish truth of Hollywood, both literally and metaphorically. Um, so here's the miracle of Barton Fink. Yes. The Coens were writing Miller's Crossing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I love Miller's Crossing. Me too, me too. Um, but they were having a hard time cracking that story, and they hit some writer's block and i agree so most people when they hit writer's block i've been there time and time again uh i'll be like i'm there now with something i'm writing yeah so i don't know how you handle it but when i have writer's block i say i'm gonna go play some candy crush (laughs) like i'm just gonna pop on some headphones listen to the beatles and play candy crush i will pace back and forth and throw on a movie that has absolutely nothing to do with the movie that I'm writing. Yeah. Like, like I often throw on like fallback movies for me, but I like, so I'll throw on like Halloween or I'll throw on, um, um, uh, RoboCop or something like right. that, but I won't throw on something like Mad Max and I won't throw on Blade Runner or any of those. Cause they generally don't sing to me in a writing fashion for some reason, or they generally don't make me feel as comfortable for for whatever reason, I don't know why I fall back to movies like Halloween and RoboCop. But, you know, yeah. Um, well, because you love them, I do. But <laughs> I love, but I love like I love uh, Mad Max and Blade Runner more than both of those movies. Yeah, but, but there that but, sort of has like a I don't know the the uh, the scope of that. There's some yeah. There's something. <sighs> it's too prestigious, I suppose. Like I sit, I sit down and I'll watch those. I can't help but sit down and watch those movies. Where there's something about having those other two on, 
that, where I can like just keep them on and pace at the same time. Okay. I don't know what it is. It's just this chemical combination that just works for me for writing for whatever reason. Okay. It's confusing. So anyway, point being, uh, <laughs> that's what we do when we get writer's block. Uh, the Coen brothers decided, let's write a totally different movie. <laughs> so they took two weeks off of Miller's Crossing and they wrote Barton Fink. Which is remarkable. Which is a better movie than Miller's Crossing. By a mile. <laughs> it's just a, I love Miller's Crossing, but this is a better movie. Oh like, my God, it's not even remotely close. <laughs> this is probably their fifth best film. I usually, it's, it's always in their top How do you five. do it? How do you do it? One for me. I, I think, okay, favorites and best are two different things. Yeah. I feel like their best accomplishment is probably um, uh, No Country, even though Fargo is like the most beloved. It's certainly my favorite. Yeah. So I usually go, uh, as far as like like getting all my uh, like subjectivity out of the way, I go um, uh, No Country, Fargo, Inside Lewin Davis, The Big Lebowski, Barton Fink. I might swap those two. I think we have the same top five. Really? I would. Uh, here's how I go. I actually have this written down. I forgot I made this. I go Fargo, No Country, Barton Fink at three. Okay. And then I go Lebowski at four, and I go Serious Man at five. Oh, okay. Serious Man would. That's how I do it. Serious Man would probably be six for me. And then I go Miller's Crossing six, Lewin Davis at seven. Oh, Lewin Davis has got to be up there in the fi- top five. Fucking love that movie. I love it too. And it's only great. Maybe in like another 10 years, it'll get even higher. Um, that most Coen Brothers movies are like that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is um, a movie about a lot of things. Yeah, and in a weird way, it's also about nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this movie to someone that isn't into movies. I wouldn't recommend it to someone, yeah, who's not into movies, and also people who aren't familiar with the Coen Brothers' work. Yeah. Honestly, I, th- I, I yeah, it's hard to recommend in that way. Like, if you wanted to get into them, this would not be the first film because it might deter them. But it, this is the type of movie, though, where if you catch it at the right age mm. and, like, you're a snobbish movie nerd like me, I probably watched this when I was, like, 18, 19, it'll, like, blow your mind. Yep. But you won't understand why it'll blow your mind. Uh, you'll see the movie and you're like, I have no idea what that was about, <laughs> but I know I love it. Yep. Did you have the same experience watching it? Precisely. Yeah. <laughs> it makes much more sense to you when you're writing something. Yep. And, or not, maybe not necessarily when you're trying to write something specifically, but when you're trying to craft something and be creative and just having a fucking miserable time doing it. Mm. That's essentially what this movie is about. And you don't always pick up on all what every single image is going to mean you're not necessarily the ending isn't always going to resonate right off the bat but something just feels right about the movie it's like you can't always put your finger on what exactly they were going for here but it's like i don't know why but i connect to this image yeah i don't know why but i connect to this particular camera movement i don't know why but i connect to the actions that this person is doing there's something evocative Mm -hmm. about john Turturro sitting on a beach with a cardboard box yes Exactly. And again, you don't know exactly what it is, but there's something that's hitting you on a, on a visceral level. <laughs> they're standing there with someone in the museum, and you're like, I get it. And they're like, what do you mean you get it? What's it about? I don't know, but I get it. Right. <laughs> right. That's what it is. It's a feeling kind of a thing. That's, whenever I talk about this movie with, with anybody who are kind of film nerds, I'm just like, the best example of a movie that I don't, I still to this day don't 
literally understand just feels right to me. Like, I think this is one of my favorite examples. Yeah. I have a very hard time explaining this movie to people, but everything about it just feels perfectly right at home for me. Right. I just, I just connect to it on a weird personal level that's different than words. Well, I, I, that's what the Coens do. Yeah. The Coens have a firm grasp on their material and on their voice. And mm-hmm. I think perhaps a firmer grasp than any other filmmaker on the planet. Yes. Um, they just get what they're about. Even if you don't understand it, mm-hmm. you understand that they're in command of their world. Yeah. The world never gets away from them. You know? Mm-hmm. And maybe, the, okay, perhaps in the case of like the lady killers. But other than that, <laughs> like their style is never gets out of their reach. True. They make everything for a reason. Mm-hmm. Each decision is made. Each line that's uttered. Each visual style that's used is there for a reason, and it feels consistent within itself. Even in a movie like this, which is absurdist. It's an absurdist film. It's a surreal film. It's not quite David Lynch, but it's certainly in the same neighborhood as David Lynch. Oh, it gets weird, like David Lynch, especially the, the one of the final scenes with John Goodman running down the hallway, which is one of my favorite. Right. I don't even know where that fits in like my lineage of like scenes in general. I don't know how do you how, where you I don't know where it ranks. I don't know how you categorize it. It's just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I it's so memorable. It never leaves my head. I actually got recommended that very clip on YouTube the other day. Right. <laughs> I'll show you the life of the mind. I will show you. It's great stuff. When he gets out, he has the suitcase. Remember when he gets out of the elevator? Oh, yeah. It's so... But the way they film it, too, and the flames just emerging from either side. It's, it's so weird. But, like, it's, again, like, I... Okay. Yeah. Right. That's what... Yeah. But that's what the Coens do, and that's what David Lynch does. Mm-hmm. It, you don't understand it on a... On a sort of logical level, mm-hmm. but everything feels of a piece. Yeah. Nothing feels out of place, even though what's happening makes no sense. Like, it feels comfortably within that piece. Like you said, it's not out of place. Right. It's like, yep, yeah, of course it needed to be in this movie. Right. I sort of want to say that to every movie. I never want to watch a scene and be like, what the fuck was that doing there? Right. I always want to be like, perfect. Like, this, it wouldn't be complete if this scene was not there. But this is an example, though. You can still make weird choices. And they do. Yeah, you can still go out... <laughs> I, a lot of filmmakers are like, I just want to surprise the audience. I want to do something transgressive. I want to shock. I want to uh, leave people guessing. And like, you can do all that within a certain style, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what I would say to like young filmmakers that are making weird experimental art house stuff. Yeah, like I applaud that, but also you have to have a sense of style and a sense of voice, mm-hmm. and you have to play by some sort of rules. You know, yeah. and this movie plays by its own set of rules. I agree. For the life of me, I couldn't tell you what the rules are, but the <laughs> Coens do. Yes, well, you that's know? important. As long as the, the the those voices do. I mean, you could say that about most filmmakers too. But it, when they lose sight of those rules, is when it starts to get messy. Right. And it's a film that I could have very easily had seen getting messy and confused within its own world, but it never really loses track of itself. Yeah. Which is a miracle when you actually. S- step back and look at what's actually happening in the movie. Yeah. Like, it's a batshit crazy film. Yeah. Well, and certainly the, the third act is pretty batshit crazy. The mo- but the whole film is just an, just this weird aura of just, ugh, like, ickiness at times. Like, that fucking wallpaper. The wallpaper peeling off oh the walls. God. John Goodman's, like, like liquids pouring out of his ear. <sighs> it's so strange. Dude, the mosquito bothering yeah. Barton. I mean, <laughs> the I, heat. I love it, though. Yeah, dude. Um, but 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 again, like it, it's it's also 
nicely in line with the Cohen's lineage of being like unsatisfying where it's like he, he, he feel at the end of it all, he feels like he's written his greatest thing ever. And then it's just like, fuck you, dude. It's, it's, it's the big piece of crap. I'm, I'm going to give you 10 reasons why your thing stinks. Right. But I don't have time. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's screenwriting, isn't it? Yep. Right. It's Barton Fink believes like he comes from New York. He's a playwright. He believes in high art. Yeah. Uh, he scoffs at low art. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a creator. Right. I love that scene too. And it, it's kind of, he's a really irritating character in that way. Yeah. He's not like a particularly likable guy. No, not really. Uh, but he goes into Hollywood and he just finds this cesspool waiting for him. And it's an incredible L.A. movie. You don't really think about it as an L.A. movie just because it's so secluded. Most of it takes place in that hotel. Yeah. It's it's very claustrophobic though. I mean, you could call it an L.A. film. It's more of like an L.A. people movie, yeah, than L.A. specific. I mean, I guess you could say that that's L.A. But when I think of this movie, I think of more the people who must inhabit that world more than anything, right? And the sense of isolation that you feel, yeah, amongst all the noise, mm-hmm. no one's there to comfort you, and the guy that is there to comfort you is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> is literally the devil incarnated. Uh, what a great idea though. My god, John Goodman's so good in this movie by the way. Oh, I'm leaking again. <laughs> you don't listen. I love everything about this movie. The third act is just outstanding, mm-hmm. dude. And of course, the Cohen's got some other stuff yeah. in there like the rise of fascism and the rise of anti-Semitism and uh, th- there's some biblical allusions as there often is with the Coens and there's a lot of stuff just about being Jewish. Um, yeah, I know the guys have a firm understanding of Judaism, but it feels like another movie where it's like they, again, I, maybe based on how fast it was written, it seems like that kind of film that they just wrote as like, like pure artistic expression. Yeah. Like maybe they didn't always necessarily know what they were throwing into this, just whatever felt right. Right. And they just had this, this theme of like, like 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 frustrating and and irritating writer's block that just pervade everything and this is what came out of that and also that's one of the rules they tell you is you should never write about writer's block that's always they say that to writers it's the most boring subject this ain't boring but they somehow beat the odds and made something incredible out of nothing what is with the coens man they're like a once-in-a-generation filmmaking talent. That's, they're that's what's up with the Coens. They're incredible. What do you mean, what's up with them? <laughs> what the fuck is the matter with the Coen brothers? <laughs> These guys come around once in a generation. Why are they so damn good? <laughs> I can't figure it out. <laughs> like, everything they do is just awesome. I'm, I'm sick of it, damn it. <laughs> yeah. All I know is that you need to see Barton Fink. Oh, God. Because it will change your life, this movie. To those who have, uh, have like, a need... Knee deep in film, yeah, and in in a in somewhat of an interest. This is this is an important film for you, I think. I feel like this. It, there are times when I feel like this is like a mandatory film for people who are actually interested in filmmaking and certainly in screenwriting. Oh yeah, well, it'll scare you off pretty quick. Yeah, it'll either scare you off or it will inspire you to write some more. Yeah. But this is a good like barometer for that. Yeah, I have had instances where I have been writing something. And I just, I, I will just get so fed up, and I will actually think of this movie. Yeah, I'm just like that movie is so right. Yeah, the movie is so right about what this is like. Right, it's so lonely. You feel like you're just, I'm, I'm, I'm like kind of working on a pilot script right now for mm-hmm. a TV show, and like, yeah, I'm in a point of a lot of frustration right now. I'm, I'm doing this scene with, with two brother characters who are just fighting, but I can't end the fucking thing. Yeah. I hate it. Oh, it's the worst. I can just like, son of a bitch. I'm like, terrible at ending scenes. Yeah, it's like, ending I, scenes are the worst. Mm, it never works. It's impossible. Because it feels so forced. Yeah, I can always get into it, but then it's like, oh, shit. 
Right. What? The, okay. Do I end it here? No, that sucks. And I don't know, you know what kind of thing. how you do it. Um, but my for some reason my urge is always to like go sitcommy with it, <laughs> and that bothers. Like I always feel the need to end on a joke or really? end on like a ha ha. I don't know what about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Dep- I don't know why I do that. It depends on your sense of comedy too. In those in those scenes, like you, if you want to end it with levity. Like, like Here's the, what it is. I don't have the confidence to end it on any other note. Really? Okay. I'm not confident enough. I always got to fall back on the joke. I can't just say, you know what, that's good enough. That'll move somebody. That'll that'll make somebody laugh. I always got to end on like a convenient laugh line. Well, see, the thing is, you, I think, intuitively know how like certain scenes should end. Like The thing I'm writing is a horror film, and I know instinctually, based on the way I've set everything up, that it needs to kind of be a scary note yeah. at the end of it that you walk away from before I transition to the next scene. But I keep getting it like kind of sad and dramatic. And there are times where maybe I think that that's going to work, but at the end of it, I'm just like, Oh, I feel like it could be frightening if I, just, if I end this conversation with an idea that just scares the shit out of like parents. Yeah. You know, cause that's kind of what I'm going for. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm cause I've have a, like this self-loathing thing where yeah. I think that nothing I do is good. Mm-hmm. So I just I'm always out there. I got to entertain. This has to, this is dragging too much. I have to insert another joke here, 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 and I feel like I'm just bogging it down. It's so much worse too when you're watching bad movies. Yes. When, when I watch bad movies and I'm trying to create something, I look at that and I'm like, "Is what I'm doing now this bad?" Yeah. It sucks. Right. Which is why sometimes when we come on the podcast and do "Why is this a thing?" I'm like, "Can we just do a movie that we love, please? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just do a weird movie that we love? I don't want to feel depressed going home." You're Right, it's like what's the difference between what I'm writing and what that exactly. is? Oh man, I feel you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, dude, writing sucks. Fucking, suck. it's that thing. <laughs> no, seriously though, it's that it is the most unpleasant experience there is, and it's very rare to have a good one. Like, yeah, like like the last thing I wrote that was the feature was actually for the most part fun. You had fun writing that for the most part, not yeah. not the entire way through, but. Once I was finally done with it and I fixed all the errors and rewrote a few scenes, I'm like, it's good. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. Never happens, though. Never, ever happens. It is a weird... I mean, it's hard to explain to people, but it's that one thing where it's like, it's the most miserable experience. Mm Mm-hmm. It's lonely. It's isolating. You don't you ha- feel good doing it. It has to be, though. That's you, the thing. You feel very bad, but you have this compulsion to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what instinct that is, where it's like, I need to create something. I was explaining it to my brother last week, because he's like, uh, why don't you enjoy going to the gym? I go, because when I go to the gym, I'm not creating anything. I'm just working on shit. I'm just making myself better. I'm not interested in making myself better. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm interested in putting, I'm already as good as I can be. No, <laughs> no. I, I acknowledge like that's a serious character flaw, but I just like creating things. I just want to make, 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 make. And if I'm not making, I feel useless. I agree. I'm right there with you. So I have this thing where I'm like, I'm, I'm writing and I don't know what's going to happen with it. It's just I'm making it to make it. But as long as it's out there in the world, I'm happy about it. Yep. I know exactly how you feel, man. Dude, it's Don't weird, worry. dude. Create, having, having that need to create something, it can be, it's an amazing feeling, but it can really eat at you sometimes. Right. When you don't feel like you can. Yeah. It's the worst. Which is why it's so, so great to finish something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, finishing is the fucking best. 
which is why I fucking hated Jeffrey Tytler's class. Because you, <laughs> you never finish anything. It's always this malformed thing that will, take, that will go on to be crafted for the rest of your fucking life. Vince Gilligan once oh said, I thought he put this great. He's, they asked him, do you enjoy writing? And he said, no, but I enjoy having written. Yep. And that's exactly what it is. I enjoy looking back and thinking, that was a cool thing that I created. Yep. The actual process is the worst. Can't, yeah. And don't let anybody mislead you. Any of these crazy motherfuckers that are like, yeah, I just enjoy writing in my spare time. Burn them. <laughs> Burn them alive. <laughs> Kill them with fire. <laughs> Who are you? Yep. You do not You do not enjoy writing. <laughs> yeah, I just take my journal out and I, you know, I just sit in the park and I write poems. It's so frustrating. Go to hell. It is a frustrating experience. Go to hell. Who are you? You don't enjoy shit. This is not fun. This is not meant to be fun. There's a fucking reason why Hemingway killed himself, man. It's a terrible experience. This is why God made the flood. (laughs) You know, but he left crazy motherfuckers like you and I on the planet. That's true. So he didn't get everything right. He left us here to toil away. I'm on my third draft of a fucking sitcom. He's very proud of us, Nico. He's he's proud of what he made. Let's move on before we get too religious. Uh, uh, JFK. Wow, let's talk JFK. Let's get even crazier. Woo! Um, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> JFK. Oh, God. Written and directed by Oliver Stone. Of course. Who, who else would have made this fucking movie? Starring... What a cast. Kevin Costner. Worst accent in the history of film. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Tommy Lee Jones. Gary Oldman. Michael Rooker. Sissy Spacek. Joe Pesci. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau. Donald Sutherland. And John Candy. Martin Sheen with the narration. Jesus Christ, what a cast. Did you also... Did you say Michael Rooker? I did. Okay, good. Yeah. Did you say Newman? Uh, oh, Wayne Knight, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I, Newman from Seinfeld? Yeah. yeah, Wayne Knight is in this movie. Yes. You know what his character's name is in this? No. Numa. Crazy. And there's that JFK scene in Seinfeld. Right. But the Magic Loogie. Does the exact same thing. Back and to the left. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> um, winner of Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. I would say that's correct. Yeah, probably. I think that's the right call. Nominated also for Best Picture. How fucking nuts is that? I don't know. A movie like this, it would not even touch the Academy Awards. <laughs> no one involved in this movie would set foot on the red carpet at the Oscars. They wouldn't be allowed to. <laughs> no. <laughs> JFK. No, I'm not crazy. Uh, and then you also got uh, Best Supporting Actor for Tommy Lee Jones, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, and Best Original Score. A critical darling mm-hmm. at its time. New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison discovers there's more to the Kennedy assassination than the official story. Yep. Um, here's my question to you. Do you think Oliver Stone believes his own bullshit? Yeah, I do. You do? Absolutely. Okay. That's interesting, because I don't. <laughs> have you heard him in any interviews ever? I have. Let me explain. This is one quote of his. Um, Stone does not describe the movie as the official telling of the JFK assassination, but rather as a counter-myth, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. counter-myth to the official myth um i don't think the point of this movie is necessarily that it's 100 percent historically accurate just that it's an alternative to the pre-established facts okay alternative facts as kellyanne conway would say sure Mm -hmm. um 
I don't actually think that anyone involved in this movie believes the conspiracy. You don't? I see this movie as an exercise in paranoia. It is that, yeah. And it's a movie about the nation's response to Kennedy's assassination. Mm -hmm. This is how we must have felt. This is the chaos, the uncertainty, the frenetic nature of a story like this. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're trying to represent it on screen. There's no other way to tell the story of the Kennedy assassination without acknowledging that everybody in the country was at a loss for words. What the hell's going on? There must be something greater. Sure. And Roger Ebert in his review, I think, summed it up quite nicely. This is not about the history of the Kennedy assassination, but the feeling of the Kennedy assassination. And that's where the movie finds its truth. Mm -hmm. Not in the historical details, but in the way that it makes the audience feel. And that's why I agree with him when I say JFK is a masterpiece. Could be, yeah. It's a really good movie. You mean like Oliver Stone believing in the conspiracy? You mean like as, as he doesn't believe it as a means to tell this story? I think he believes that there's more to the Kennedy assassination. Yes. That's because I think like in person, if you were to ask him, he would say, yeah, I think there's more to it. But what you're saying is that the movie is not really about that. It's more about this. I think he took creative liberties with the film and he'll acknowledge that he took creative liberties with the film as a means to an end. That's true. And I think he has acknowledged that in the past. Like he said, yeah, there's bullshit in the movie, but there was bullshit in the real story, too. Yeah. You know, which is what I like about this. Right. I mean, this movie is... I mean, hmm. It's uh, this movie's nuts. <laughs> this movie's out of its fucking mind, and it's cer- it certainly makes you. Uh, I mean, it's it's oddly effective. I don't know if it's effective in the ways that they were intending it to be. I mean, I feel like that that sense of paranoia. I mean, it's it's it is a deep exploration on the the reaction to the Kennedy assassination more than anything. Yeah, I agree with that. Like capturing a feeling. Uh, just a psychological unrest of of every character in the movie is just brilliantly captured here. Uh, I feel like people like like t- took the 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 testimony at hand in this film and really ran with it. Though, <laughs> I mean, well, this did actually happen. Not the conspiracy part, but uh, Jim Garrison was a real guy. No, he, I, a lot of this stuff really happened. Yeah, this was an actual investigation, and they. Did try uh, what's his name uh, 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 Ruby what's Jack it? Ruby Jack Ruby like he was actually tried in New Orleans and nothing happened of it. The jury after an hour dismissed the case, but this was a real case that was brought to life. So yeah, yeah, it, it's not just the film that ran with it. I'm saying is that people bought into it well before JFK came out. I know, you know, it's it's interesting when you look at this now though, like because I. I don't think people watch this film necessarily and think like this is just a like a historical account or not maybe not a historical account but trying to capture that mood of the time. Right. They just take it as the definitive conspiracy theory movie. Right. And let, let's let's not trust anything the government does now and cite cite things like this movie as a result of that. Mm. And um yeah, I don't know where I fall on that. <laughs> it's certainly easier to believe than most conspiracy theories, but again, it's one of those things where I'm like Huh. I don't I don't know. Do you think that the movie has a moral obligation to present the facts as is? Not necessarily. Yeah. Cuz I think that's where I draw the line. Yeah. Cuz at the time when the movie came out, critics bashed this movie. And not just critics, like figures at the New York Times and the Washington Post, they wrote editorials and government officials spoke out and uh I think a lot of people thought the movie was morally despicable. 
just because it peddled a conspiracy theory and took liberties with the truth and misled audience goers. When that wasn't really the point of the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look, even if it was the point of the film, so what? <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I feel like I've had the same conversation many times with people in my life, but art is inherently a lie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Movie making is a lie. Yeah. It's all, it's all fake. Yeah. There's actors that yeah. are playing people other than themselves. Yeah. It's a it's a bunch of magic tricks, guys. Right. It's not all done in, in one take, man. No. There are multiple takes and you have to edit it together to create the illusion, the illusion of movement and the illusion of I pace. mean, film in general, just literal film is are, are, is the illusion of movement itself. It's, it's pictures. That's right. That's all it is. At the end of the day, it's just a shit ton of still images. So... I have a hard time drawing the line to say, okay, now because we are telling this as a biopic, because we are depicting real events, now we can't lie anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to lie on a technical level. It's not okay to lie on a story level. Mm -hmm. Uh, That premise I just don't buy. Yeah, I don't think movies have any obligation to tell you the truth. It's, it, it, I mean, the only reason, like, if I'm a filmmaker, the only reason why I wouldn't take liberties, honestly, is if I find the story that engaging, where it's like, how could this not have been a movie yet? The story is just so compelling. Yeah. And maybe this is an example of that, because this movie is so much fun. It's so entertaining. It is the most one of the most entertaining three-hour films oh! I've ever made. Dude, it moves like it's an hour and oh, a half. It's. I mean, it's that's. I mean, this film was got an got an Oscar for best editing, and rightfully so. It, well, yeah. I mean, this movie is snappy as fuck. Yeah. And it's exciting and it's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, this movie's actually kind of scary. Yeah. When Pesci dies, when they yeah. come to the, his apartment, and it's like mm. somebody's coming after me, and it's freaky. For sure. And it's like, but again, it's like paranoia is that I feel like we've all sort of thought of. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe this could have happened. Maybe this did happen. Oh, God, is this actually going on today? That's, and it leaves you with a a serious impression, like coming out of this one. And that's what I think Roger Ebert was hinting at at his, in his review when he said that the movie is only obligated to tell you a compelling story. Mm -hmm. The truth or falseness of that story is kind of irrelevant. All that matters is, the truth in our emotional reaction to it. Sure. All that matters is that we walk out recognizing what the story is trying to tell us and recognizing it as true to our own sense of humanity. Um, yeah, I, I just don't care. I, I I said this in, it's, it's kind of funny. I said this in regards to Dave Chappelle last week when I said that I don't watch stand up comedy for the truth. I read the New York times for the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, like art, should be able to take liberties however it wants because it's not about the actual content it's about what it's trying to convey yeah it's about a sense of 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 wonder or shock or in this case paranoia or comedy or levity that's what we're searching for um and it does a real fun uh, job communicating that yeah I, i agree you know, well, I think when it comes to something like art in general, I mean, there's a lot of things that art is trying to do. I mean, part of it, a big part of it, is just trying to, uh, you know, convey a, 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 a maybe maybe challenge you or give you a, a different perspective on some matter. You know, just for the sake of doing it. Sometimes it's like, well, why not think about it this way? You know, to right. to, to make us a little more, you know. Uh, a little more intellectual than than we would have been otherwise. But at the end of the day, it's like like art like this is just trying to entertain. You know, it's doing. I know. I understand that it's 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 doing more than that. But at the at the same time, like sometimes it just, a lot of it boils down to just sheer entertainment value. The thing is, conspiracies are a fun time. 
<laughs> Who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory? I actually got into a, a, a mild uh, uh, argument about this with Abby. Okay. Because she buys into a certain conspiracy theory, and I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I actually got one. Uh, it, it has to do with like like Illuminati shit. Okay. And, and like connecting it to a lot of things, including 9 11. And I'm just like, oh no. Abby's a 9 11 truther? Oh, we shouldn't call her out on the podcast for that. We shouldn't, no. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but in a way, I, 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 it sounds like she kind of is. Not a truther. She wouldn't like be outspoken and going. She's just around. asking questions. Yeah, she, she, she's skeptical. That's yeah. the best way I'll put it. And I'm like, Abby, but n- no, no. Like, like if you look at if you look at this evidence and you look at this and you. How about the BBC radio broadcast? Oh my god! That announced that the tower was coming down a half hour before it actually did. Time zones. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Time zones. <laughs> Uh, you know what the problem is? Alex Jones just fucked it up for everybody. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Alex Jones went after dead kids. He, <sighs> so that that's it. That's where we draw the line. It was all fun and games until Alex Jones said those kids in Newtown aren't actually dead. And ever since then, and then he got involved with Trump. And then ever since then, it, it's been like all conspiracy theorists are anti-democracy. Yeah. And are anti-dead children. Yeah. Well, I guess pro Oh, how would I state that? Uh, <laughs> deny the existence of dead children, right? And so, you know, now we're in this very weird time, but I think at their core, conspiracy theories are their own form of performance art. Mm-hmm. It's a way of thinking about the world in a different way. It's like doing a crossword puzzle. It's just, it's it's a different way of conceptualizing the world, and it allows you to think about possibilities that you wouldn't think about otherwise, yep. you know? They they aren't that dangerous if taken in a certain context. The problem is you run with it and it gets really dangerous. And but I don't know something like JFK to think about. Oh yeah, how did the guy get three shots off in like five seconds? Three seconds, three point six seconds, I think is what it is. Yeah, back into the left. What's that about? But that's the other thing. It's another one of those like Zodiac movies where you're just fascinated by the the investigation. You right. just can't help but get immersed by it all. Right. It's exciting. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't blame this movie for like taking off the way that it did or, or affecting people the, the way that it did because it's a tough movie in that way. But if, as long as you step back from it and say it's a fucking movie. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more. Uh, well, it's much easier to accept. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't think it's as evil as people. No. Think it is. Let no, me just no, put no. it that way. Yeah. I think this is all in good fun. Yes. Um, At the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. They showed this to, to our class for the first time in eighth grade. Really? Yeah. Well, that's a little weird. I know. History class showed you JFK. <laughs> I will say the first time you see it, though, if you're not well read, makes a very compelling case. I, I To this day, it still makes a fairly compelling case. Right. It, if, if, you're, if I'm to buy into any conspiracy theory, if I had to choose, I don't know why I would have to choose, <laughs> but if I did, I would feel most comfortable with this one. That's how I'm going to put it. Right. <laughs> right. That or Epstein, I guess. <laughs> well, now it's coming back. I feel like Jeffrey Epstein's the new JFK. Yeah. 
Because now everyone just universally agrees someone killed this bastard. But that's also because fuck this guy. <laughs> Fine, yeah, I'll believe it. Why not? No, everybody just understands. Yeah, I mean, someone must have knocked him off. For they can't the- agree who it was, but everybody just says it's either the Clintons or it's the Russians. Jeffrey Epstein could be like like the worst thing ever. He could, for all you know what I believe Jeffrey Epstein is 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 an alien from Mars. That dude, we there's need, a new one. That we needed to kill him. Epstein's yes. still alive. Ooh, yeah, that's a new conspiracy. No one ever saw the body. Leave the cell. Epstein alive. All right. He's escaped. Like <laughs> the Clintons faked his death. Oh my god. What the hell? He's back on the Lolita Express. <laughs> what a horrible name. Lolita Express. Oh god, it's the sickest thing. Yeah, I only rode on the Lolita Express like 15 <laughs> times. <laughs> 15 times, Bill. Jesus Christ. You didn't do it 15 times. I am not accusing Bill Clinton of having an international murdering ring. Well, of course he does. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying I'm not doing that. Have you, seen but, his, have you seen his wife? I mean, Jesus. All I'm saying is that, man, Oliver Stone making a movie about the Clintons would be pretty fucking dope. It would. Oh, my God. I mean, that's, that's essentially what House of Cards is, though. It's just the Clintons. Right. Fun fact. Yeah, that's sure. What they, that's what they based it off. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's so. exactly who they are, and it's very accurate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, I could see Hillary Clinton running through a, a cemetery and not giving a shit. Could you see Bill Clinton pushing a journalist in front of a moving train? Uh, As Frank I Underwood, could, does? I could see him getting drunk and doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that's JFK. Let's move on to Terminator Two: Colon Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Written and directed by James Cameron, starring Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Edward Furlong, and Robert Patrick. Winner of Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup. At the Oscars, also nominated for Cinematography and Film Editing. Mm. AFI says it's the number 77 thriller of all time. Uh, They also say that The Terminator is the number 48 hero of all time. Okay. Number 76 on their quote list for Hasta La Vista, baby. And number eight on their all-time science fiction list. A cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor must now protect her teenage son, John Connor, from a more advanced and powerful cyborg. Uh, We talked about the original Terminator. In fact, we put the original Terminator in the movie Hall of Fame. Yep. When we talked about it, we both acknowledged that's the superior movie. Well... We think so, but I also think many people would disagree. Yeah. It's a contentious argument. For sure. Which is which is the better one. I personally prefer that first movie, but I don't... Here's the thing. I don't completely disagree when you say Terminator 2 is better. If you say it's better, I'm like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. I think the movie gets a lot of credit for the T-1000. I just think the T-1000 is one of the coolest creatures ever. Well, well, it is. It's one of the coolest villains by a mile. Yeah. It's such a great idea, and it's frightening as hell, and it's so awesome. So the movie gets a lot of credit for the T-1000 walking through steel bars. Mm-hmm. And I just think we see that sequence, and it's, it's one of the great action sequences ever, but we see that sequence, and we think more of the film than perhaps we should. Um, I just don't think this movie has as much heart as the original movie. Uh... Mm, not as much heart. Yeah, I don't know if I fully agree with that. I mean that 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 finale where he where he's forced to put him in the in the liquid metal is, is pretty touching. Yeah, a lot of scenes with his mom. 
or, or like the scenes where it's like, why do you cry? And it's like, I don't know. We just cry, you know? When right. We're down. And he's like, pain causes it? No, it's different than that. And he's just explaining like that human emotion to a, to a machine. Yeah. I don't know. I think it has plenty of heart. Does that mean more to you than Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese in the first movie? Banging in a hotel room. <laughs> I just think there's like a more real life quality to that. Well, that movie's smaller and a little more relatable in that way is the thing. Yeah. I think the the distinction to be made here is that this is a significantly bigger film. Right. And it doesn't, it takes advantage of that whole hog. Right. So, and sometimes to the films, I don't think anything in this film is to its detriment. Yeah. I mean, to make something clear, I love this movie. Sure. I really love this movie. And it's, it's probably the second best on this list but um i remember going back and forth at, at, on it even as a kid and thinking like i i love these first two movies but i think the thing that always holds it back for me more than anything is is it's the writing huh as a kid you thought oh, this screenplay <laughs> yeah jim cameron you really should have given this a couple more read throughs it's <laughs> if i'm being completely honest yeah really i remember thinking like this is it's the story on paper at times it's it, it's i mean the dialogue here is annoying well i just think look think about it this way the most iconic line in this movie is hasta la vista baby which i find to be very corny it is corny though in comparison to i'll be back which yeah. is just one of the great movie quotes ever yeah and i i think that is an interesting dichotomy look at those two quotes the first one is epic and also kind of horrifying mm-hmm. and iconic and this one is just i won't say karaoke but it, you're trying to recapture the magic of the first movie it's like badass yeah is the thing which again like the that that this movie is just an action extravaganza. Yeah, it's it, like the action in this movie. We can't really undersell it. It's amazing yeah. stuff. It is it, Jim Cameron's natural progression, right? Yes, exactly. He's got a bigger budget. This is what he wanted to do with it. It's one of the best action movies I've ever seen. Yeah, it's not my favorite Arnold film, but it's certainly the best. If we're to categorize Arnold action films, this is probably the best one. Yeah, it's a, certainly a better action film in that way than the first Terminator, even though people will lump the first Terminator into an action film category as well. Right. Uh, well, here's the thing. I don't love Arnold as the good guy. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's what it is. See, that is weird to me, though, because he is always the good guy. Right. I mean, I, I maybe it's just because he was so good as the bad guy. And that's the thing is that I actually agree. He's so much better as the villain in this role. But there is something like oddly charming about his character in this. Right. Which is why I don't necessarily have any pushback with it. It's just a different version. You just don't see a lot of huge movie stars go for it as a villain. Like, yeah. Arnold in the first one. I admire Arnold as much as I like him in that movie. That's important. Right. Whereas in this, it's like, oh, he's just really good. Yeah. He's, he's really good at, at, at playing the hero in this, and he's he's funny and charming, and it's it's nice to see his relationship both with John and Sarah Connor. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think you're right, though. This is often acknowledged as the greatest action film ever. It's considered one of the great sequels ever. Uh, it just never really resonated with me the way it did with other people. That's fine. Though. Um. I just think for me, I want Die Hard. You know, I want the original Terminator. I want the Fugitive. That's what I'm looking for in action movies. I want something a little more real, a little more restrained, a little more visceral, a little more edgy, dirty, gritty. And this movie had a sleekness to it that I I didn't exactly embrace. I think it, it, it 
certainly it has its grittiness to it. Like, I certainly think that this movie... I mean, it's violent, I suppose. There is an attitude to it, though, that certainly feels like like equally as like chunky as that first movie, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Like, like it's like the especially if you've seen the other Terminator films, this movie, which I have not, by the way, like the third movie is just abysmal. Yeah. And that the fourth movie tries to get grittier and it's just kind of boring. Mm -hmm. And then apparently the fifth one is just sleek as hell. And it's just a total pile of shit. Right. So I, I feel like the lineage of in, in the relationship that this movie has to the, to the other movie is pretty strong. Yeah. I feel like, like it makes for a good double bill. It doesn't necessarily feel out of place or anything. And like you said, it's a nice natural progression for James Cameron. Right. So, uh, I just like when those guys have less to work with, not more. I agree. No, I, and that's the thing. I, I'm on your side. Normally I say, yeah, I like those, those aspects of the film more in the first Terminator. Hmm. But that's not to say that I don't like this movie. You have to, I always, I have to stress, like, I love this yeah, movie. Yeah, of course. One of, it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It's incredible. No, it's an awesome movie for sure. Yeah. Um, it's just hard because we're talking about a sequel and the original I just find to be greatly superior. Yeah. I wouldn't even say greatly superior, just, but it's just, just different. I don't know. For me, it's just, it's a matter of like taste. It's like, what, what is your personal preference? This, this apple or this, this orange. You know? Right. Uh, or just either Granny Smith or yeah, that's actually or, a better or Red example. Delicious, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's all it is. It's different flavors. I like something a little more sour. I, I I've always loved the Granny Smith apple. Me me as well. Give me some bite. Yeah, you know, I, your T one thousand's awesome. Uh, I love the score. I love the use of sound in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's a very immersive. It's one of those movies that I would have loved to seen in the theater. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so cinematic and it still holds up too. Yeah, it's the other thing, and even the effects hold up to this day. Right. And it's one of those movies that just has like just so many awesome, iconic, memorable moments that you just can't you can't forget. Yeah. And you can't sell short to. To me, it's just like oh, just just play the hits. I I don't need the new thing. Just. I'm good with the old thing, <laughs> which I agree. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It's my same thoughts on alien and aliens. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I like the original alien better. Sure. Uh, the new one is just a full fledged action movie. And the first one is just gritty and small and horrifying. I actually like, I think like people compare like sequels in general, but if I'm to rank sequel, I think I actually like aliens as a sequel a little bit more than Terminator two as a sequel. Really? But we'll get into that. Yeah. Not <laughs> sure we will. Not to say that, uh, I like aliens more than alien though. But again, people would probably say, I I know a lot of people who prefer aliens. Yeah. Which is okay. Okay. Uh, anything else about Terminator two? No, it's dope. It's an awesome movie and it's, it's worthy of the conversation. I think it wins out in one of our categories. What category would that be? Impact. Really? Okay. Well, I think it's going to lose quite handily in the other two though. Mm. No. Really? We're going to have this out? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. So I think this is quite obvious um, because the last movie on this list <laughs> seems like a home run sure. to be inducted here, and it's called The Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And it's directed by Jonathan Demme, and it stars Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, and Ted Levine. Yeah. Uh, winner, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay, as I previously mentioned. And nominated for Best Sound and Best Film Editing, the American Film Institute. This is what they said about <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Uh, number five thriller of all time. Yep. Number 21 on their movie quote list. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Uh, number six on their heroes list. And number one on their villains list with Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Do you buy that? Number one? Yeah. 
Villains? Yeah. No. Would you even call him a villain? Not really. <laughs> I'd call him a bad guy. I wouldn't call him a villain, would no, you? Well, well, Buffalo Bill is, is the villain is of the, the villain, movie. Yeah. Yeah, right. So. James Gum. James Gum. What a great name. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, number 65 on their all-time movie list. Number 65 movie of all time. Yeah. Uh, a young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. Mm. Uh, here's a little story <laughs> bouncing off of that point uh, about Hannibal being a villain. When Sir Anthony Hopkins found out that he was cast as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Based on his performance as Dr. Frederick Treves in The Elephant Man, he questioned Do- director Jonathan Demme and said, quote, but Dr. Treves was a good man, to which Demme replied, so was Lecter. He's a good man, too, just trapped in an insane mind. And I think uh, that's what separates this movie from every other movie of its kind. It gives you one of the most compelling antiheroes in the history of film. Yeah. And it treats this relationship between an FBI cadet and a serial killer as a genuine one. They are actually peers in this movie. Mm -hmm. Although it's a very unhealthy relationship, (laughs) these two people really care about each other. Oh, absolutely. And that always comes through. And that's why this will, for for my money, always be the greatest serial killer, horror thriller, crime movie ever made. This is it right here. Oh, probably. It's like the, the often cited one. It's funny, though, you say that, because I also think it's the movie that people push back a lot on. Really? Yeah, normally when people talk about, like, like serial killer and serial killers in film, for some reason, this is the one that they, like, it kind of, like, like gave gave those a bad name or too simple of a name. Like, like when, when Fincher set out to make uh, Zodiac and whatnot... Part, part of the reason why a lot of people were pushing back on him, or even the real-life people were pushing back on him, was that uh, they didn't want uh, another Silence of the Lambs. Huh. And he had to reassure them, like, no, that's not what we're doing here. Now, why? I guess they thought that it was made a little cartoony. Oversimplified the serial killer thing? And they're not wrong. Well, um, one of the complaints I always hear is that it sort of trivialized the transgender thing. Yeah. Well, and it sort of made James Gum into a monster because, like, you know, anybody that would rather not have a penis <laughs> must be deeply unhealthy and scarred, right? Which I guess maybe you could, you, you, could, you could attack the film for. But the problem is that that's based on very real things. Right. So it's hard for me to really like be like, well, that's just the way some of these people are. It's yeah. just a fact. It's like if you look at so, like some of the things that these horrible people have done, it directly mirrors this guy. Yeah, I think it was based on three real life serial killers, including Ted Bundy and Ted, also the guy that Ed Kemper and Ed Gein. Oh, really? Those are the three. Yep. OK. Yeah. So, yeah, it is certainly based on real life. Um, what do you mean by cartoony, though? I think it's specifically Hannibal Lecter. People look at Hannibal Lecter and they're like, that's just not the way this is this is really seen in real life that's not the way these guys behave this like they they saw this person as like maniacally evil and i feel like uh, they sort of missed the points of the character oh, definitely. a lot of the time but that's the thing about like the, the impact of like the mainstream audiences and how they tend to take it in a much more simple fashion mm. and they don't exactly read between the lines as to what's going on between him and clarice no hannibal is a legitimate teacher yeah he's like the yoda of oh this i story. completely agree he's yeah. a very bad guy yeah he's a bad 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 but he's... that's why i would say yeah sure he's a bad guy but i wouldn't call him a villain i think it's because he's scary i think oh the, yeah the thing that like makes people 
say he's a villain is because he's terrifying. One of my, I mean, when when you first see him, he's standing there waiting for Clarice, and he can smell her. Yeah. When you think about why he would have been standing there, it would have been because oh, I can smell somebody coming. Closer. 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 <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when the guy, what's the the guy's name next door that flings the cum in her face? Migs. Migs. Migs spoke to you from the other cell. What did he say? Okay. I won't repeat the line. Yeah, don't repeat the line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what I love about that scene, obviously that's another one of the great scenes in the history of film when Clarice meets Hannibal for the first time, the wardrobe choice. Mm-hmm. And I actually found in my research that was Hopkins' own choice. They were going to dress him in like an orange jumpsuit like a normal prisoner in an insane asylum. Yeah. But he's like, no, this guy's an intellectual. He's a professor. Ah. He's crazy, but we got to dress him like a professional. So let's give him a white suit. I think he said specifically it was motivated by his own fear of dentists. And dentists always have all white on. Uh So he had white head to toe and it was perfectly fit. Really? It wasn't baggy. None of the, it wasn't too long. It was fitted exactly for him. And his whole idea was this is a buttoned-up professional that happens to be behind bars. And that gives it an extra sense of uh, terror. You know what I mean? Was this... Uh, this was Anthony Hopkins who said that? Yeah. Are you sure about I'm that? I'm pretty sure. Are you sure it wasn't Brian Cox? Oh, that's a good point. Brian Cox did play him first, didn't he? And he was dressed in white. According to my research, the costume designer on Silence of the Lambs worked with Anthony Hopkins on this look. Okay. I think you're right, though. That's a good point. Yeah. People forget Brian Cox was the first Hannibal. Yeah, I know. Which I love that little detail. Yeah. We had we had this funny little comment the uh, like a couple weeks ago about the sequels, and you made the comment, like, Silence of the Lambs is the best sequel. I was like, yeah, but... I- you know, I guess it's not a sequel anymore. Right. Yeah. Only because of Red Dragon. Right. But it kind of is. He's got a very small role in Manhunter too. Brian yeah, Cox I know. Does. He's like in two scenes in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Apparently, though, according to this research, Hopkins had a say in that matter. Interesting. And he improved a lot, too. He did that. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. After the tab of beans. Great, great little freaky fucking moment. <laughs> this, this movie is like one of the more chilling things ever. And a lot of it is like some of those smaller details, I suppose, and the bigger details. <laughs> That's also important. But yeah, uh, I should note this is a movie that I saw too early in life. Uh yeah, me too. <laughs> I have an aunt. That's obsessed with this. This is her favorite movie ever made. Mm. And she's like, you need to share this with me. <laughs> so we lay down uh, in a dark room, very darkly lit, and we watch Science of- Me, my brother, and my aunt. <sighs> <laughs> a lot of questions were asked when James Gum did the little dance with his dick stuck between his legs. How old were you, do you think? <laughs> uh, probably like 13, 14. Oh, boy. Something like that. Like, everything about this movie is just skeeves me out. My dad, uh, every when I, I quote my dad on this a lot, is that he said that he wasn't able to sleep for a week after this movie. Oh, yeah. He said he couldn't breathe after coming out of the movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But everything about this movie is just anxiety-driven. Sure. Yeah, and, um, Abby, again hates this movie really hates this movie now how can you hate it how can you hate it well because abby doesn't do so well with anxiety oh and this and i don't blame her this is an anxiety driven film through and through i mean down to the way it's shot down to the performances how long it holds on certain things i mean the content the content of course but also the music 
I find the music really haunting. I don't know what it is, but and it's just like it's unnerving. Howard Shore does a great job with it, by the way. Yeah, and um, no, especially like in the scene where Hannibal kills the guy and puts the face on his face. Yeah, and it just builds and builds and builds, and then finally to that dramatic crescendo yeah. of him removing the face. It's the music there, and it's also Demi's direction. That was just a tour de force of direction. I know, like the whole choreo- choreography of that scene and the sense of that building and where all these characters are at any given moment and is it, chilling. And it takes like, it's weird. It's one of those movies that takes just a, the perfect amount of time to, to convey those emotions to, but it's not very long. Yeah. The movie's really not that long. And, but for, but for some reason it feels like these, this like perfect length. It's very rare that I, I say like a short a sh- film that's a little bit shorter than, than what I would have imagined is that effective. Yeah. Cause more often than not, I'm like, you could have used a few more scenes, but this movie's just, it's solid. Yeah, I can't think of one wasted scene in this whole yes, movie. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. efficient as hell. Yeah, and it's speaking to Demi's direction, just his his how smart he is with how he composes shots and edits them together. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of discussions to be had about the choices for certain shots, especially in the uh, the scene with Hannibal and Clarice, and the way like he'll cut in in front of the glass and behind the glass and to obscure their vision based on the way they're talking based on how he frames her versus how he frames Hannibal. It's really, really, really smart. Well, a lot of the movie you are uh, seeing characters speak directly into the camera. Yes. Like there are times Hannibal is looking you dead in the eye as though you're in Clarice's point of view, but you never get the opposite. Yeah. You, you always see Clarice slightly askew because you're supposed to be in her head, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, and she ever so slightly throughout the film starts to take control. And then eventually we do get those center frame shots from her and whatnot. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot about that. Like a lot, you could d- just deconstruct the film in a little bit with like uh, men versus women in a lot of ways. There's that really funny shot where Cl- Clarice gets, gets into the elevator with all those dudes in red shirts. Right. Just surrounded by them. But she doesn't care. Sure. Yeah. Cause she, cause she can handle it. Just a word on Jodie Foster. Uh, top 10 performance of all time by a woman on screen. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Quite good. Quite. Quite good. Quite. Pretty good. I'd say, yeah, I'd say she's quite good. (laughs) I'd say she's quite good. I love when she's going into the the uh, the the garage and she kind of gives. It's just I I love little moments for actors. Usually, I fall in love with a performance based off the tiniest little details. When she's just laying on the ground and she's like, "If this locks or (laughs) you know does anything else, like like go go tell somebody I'm here." And it's just that little laugh. Yeah, it's like I love her performance. I um, here's the thing about her. She's so small. Yeah, Jodie Foster is a small person, mm-hmm. and I don't know of any other actor, m- maybe the aforementioned Holly Hunter at the time, that could have conveyed both a sense of meekness and like fish out of water quality. I'm a woman in a man's world. Mm-hmm. I'm in over my head. I'm just a young rookie, but also that strength and power and natu- natural instinct. Mm-hmm. Like she's both the scared, helpless little girl. But also the powerful cop at the same time. Yeah. And it's such a complicated performance. She's got to play both fear, confidence, uh, vulnerability. vulnerability. It's just great, man. Yeah. As I'm, great as Hopkins is, Hopkins is iconic and he gets all the credit. Guy was only in 24 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Wins best actor at the Oscars. That's a con- sort of a controversial choice. Uh, this is Jodie Foster's movie through and through. Oh, and absolutely. The fact that she didn't come back for Hannibal when Ridley Scott did Hannibal is kind of a shame because I wanted to see more of that character it's an interesting <laughs> hannibal's a discussion in and of itself you hate hannibal i don't like hannibal i kind of like hannibal i prefer red dragon 
Yeah, that's where I disagree with you. I think Red Dragon is objectively better in every way. Hannibal's more fun to me. No, it's not. <laughs> See, that I completely disagree. Ray Liotta eating his own brain. How can you watch a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman and say that <laughs> the other movie without Philip Seymour Hoffman is better? Uh, because this one had Ray Liotta eating his own brain. Okay. That's why. You know what? I can't believe I'm going to say this. What's your point? I will still take Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Great, great movie. Incredible film. Like, yeah, and I think should easily get on here. I think this was one of the rare years the Oscars just fucking nailed it. Oh, God, yeah. And we should all be in solidarity in this and say Silence of the Lambs deserves to be in the Movie Hall of Fame. What say you, sir? Well, it's the best film on this list. Yes. It's not the more impactful film. Okay. And Legacy, I could think you could make an argument for Terminator 2. Stop, 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 stop. What do you want? No, I think you could. What? What? No, it's just not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hannibal Lecter is one of the most iconic What, and the Terminator is not? And the T-1000 is not? That's because of the first movie, dude. Okay. That's because of I'll Be Back. It's not because of the sequel. Uh, Yeah, I think it is. (laughs) No, it's not. No, but it's actually not, though. That's like saying, like, Darth Vader is iconic when he threw the Emperor down a shaft. Like, Darth Vader is iconic for the movie that came before it. Yeah, the sequel. Empire's. Yeah, <laughs> no, but, back. no, but I'm saying he's iconic when he. He's iconic as the villain in the first movie, not as the hero. We think What's, of the Terminator as a scary machine. We don't think of him, generally speaking, as the hero. I don't know if we do anymore. Dude, what kind of fucking argument is this? Signs of Limbs is easily the most iconic movie on the list. Please. No. Please. No. When you I, think serial killer movie, you think Silence of the Lambs. Today? Of course. It's one of them. I, Please. I think when you just think of great action films, <laughs> you think of Terminator 2. I feel like this film is far more well known and far more seen, especially by our generation. Terminator 2 is more well seen than Silence of the Lambs? You're just off on this. No. I can just tell you you're off on this. I can tell you you're off. Because... I, this is, most of my layman friends adore Silence of the Lambs and have not seen Terminator 2. I would say, generally speaking, that's a more well-known by our generation movie. And I disagree. I'm just like, in my experience, it's just Terminator 2 is far more well-known. And, yeah. What do you want? And by the way, how is Silence of the Lambs not impactful? <laughs> I'm it's not a saying very it, impactful movie. I'm not saying it's not impactful. It's, it, it is. But, I mean, if we're judging that, I mean, Terminator 2 changed special effects forever. And, you know... It's certainly cha- changed what you're, you're capable of accomplishing in camera. It's cited more by m- more modern filmmakers. I'm, I mean, what, 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 what did Silence of the Lambs do? It's just, an, it's just a very good movie. It is. There's an argument to be had for Terminator Are we two. actually having this conversation now? I'm just saying. Are we actually? This better just be a little devil's advocate thing. Because I thought, again, we were in peace times. And I picked a nice, easy year... <laughs> Just to sort of solidify the good vibes we were having. I'm I'm just saying when when it comes to like impact and legacy, I think Terminator Two. Stop wins out. it, my God! Stop! You're just wrong. No, and I think the movie that gave us Hannibal Lecter is by far and away the more iconic movie. And this is the movie when we think of the Terminator, man. It just is. Are we actually doing? How are we doing this? How are we doing this? How are you doing this to me? I thought we were good. I thought we were good. What, I, what I'm saying is... Ask a 
thousand people that like movies, they will call you crazy for saying that Terminator 2 deserves a spot over Silence of the Lambs. Please. I'm not, well, I didn't say that. I'm just Please. saying. I'm just saying with with the categories that we've set up. I, I think fine. Then fuck the cat. What are you trying to prove here? <laughs> That's all I wanted to hear. Are you, you say. trying to prove the hypocrisy of the categories? What are you doing to me? I wanted you to say fuck the categories. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. It deserves recognition. It's the movie hall of fame, and it is not complete without Silence of the Lambs. One of the great movies ever made. One of the great thrillers in the history of film. What in Terminator Two is it? <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, you're being a little harsh on Terminator 2. I'm not being harsh. I'm saying these two movies are in different categories. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They are clearly in different categories. Mm. Are we done here? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Fucking fuck. <laughs> Congratulations to the um, like size of the last year in. Ooh, that was a close one. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> I don't like you these days. I don't like you. You're testing my patience. I'm I'm a little kid in a playground here. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to go now next week because we have this idea. Uh, oh yeah. Can we? All right. So question, <laughs> question. Oh Jesus! Next week could suck. Yeah. Are we kicking off one movie just because we already inducted it? Yeah. Oh no! Any movie that is inducted into the movie Hall of Fame is now ineligible okay. for future nomination. Why would we nominate it? Can we bring on Nick? For the for the last one, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can let's do get it. let's totally get Nick. For, okay, yeah, okay. So, all right, uh, <laughs> the Joker, or I'm sorry, just Joker is coming out next week. Um, so we're gonna do a Batcast. Yes, the long-awaited Batman podcast, the Batcast, the definitive Batcast. I feel like the Batcast is not original. By the way, I feel like we have seen Batcast. I think before. I did a Batcast already. You've done a Bat. You know what? You might have done a Batcast. I think we called an episode of Why Is This a Thing the Batcast. Really? And we did an episode of the original Batman series with Liberace. Oh. <laughs> okay, I was there for that. Yeah. Uh, so, we're going to nominate Batman movies. <laughs> but The Dark Knight, stupidly, is already in the movie Hall of Fame. Yes. So, we're going to now induct a second Batman movie. <laughs> Which is fucking dumb. Which feels excessive, but... It is. This will be a fun conversation, I think. Yes, I agree. Uh, so here we go. We're going to draft, as usual, six movies involving Batman in some way. So I'll say just the parameters are... They have to be feature-length films. Mm -hmm. They have to have the Batman character in them. Okay. Okay? So I guess, for example, Suicide Squad would work because Batman makes an appearance and the Joker's in that movie and Harley Quinn's in that movie. I don't imagine we'll be nominating Suicide Squad, though. No. But we'll see. So you uh, can go first, sir. I will say uh, Batman. Just plain old Batman by Tim Burton. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to go Batman Returns. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Uh, then I will nominate, uh, just to get it out of the way, Mask of the Phantasm. All right. Um, and <laughs> just do it. Okay, I've never seen that Adam West Batman. Oh, you? I've never seen it. Don't nominate that thing. But because I, I well, all right, I'll do Batman Begins. Go ahead. Okay, and I guess I gotta do Dark uh, Dark Knight Rises. I gotta. We gotta talk about it. Okay, so what we're left with are three bad movies. Yes. Um, I mean, we could do The Killing Joke. Which is another animated film, but it's all about the Joker. I heard that's not that good, though. 
I heard like a lot of mixed things about it, but it's certainly better than the other two. I don't want to do more animated movies. <sighs> One's good enough for me. Jesus. Uh, you really, you really want to talk about either Batman Forever or fucking Batman and Robin? Those are our options? Well, I can go <laughs> Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, God. That's, that's even worse. <laughs> um, Batman v Superman. I would love to do that, but for like, why is this a thing? Fuck it. I'm going to, uh, uh, Batman the movie. Let's do it. Let's do the it. The original? Yeah. All right. Adam West. Let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. That'll be fun. I would like to... Hmm. I was thinking maybe we do one movie for each Batman. Oh. We do Keaton, Clooney, Kilmer, Bale, West, Affleck. But that's okay. We don't have to. I don't want to kill myself at the end of a fucking <laughs> Batman podcast. I also don't hate Batman Forever. I, I don't know if I hate it either, but who gives a shit? <laughs> who gives a shit about that movie? Okay, yeah, I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with the Adam West one. Mm-hmm. All right, this is a fun list. All right, I'm looking forward to that. What is it again? Repeat it. Batman the movie with Adam West. Okay. Batman, Batman Returns, both Tim Burton films starring Michael Keaton. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, is that right? Yep. Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight Rises. Yep. Dark Knight already inducted. Yes. Sorry, guys. One of those six getting into the Movie Hall of Fame. And then I imagine the two of us at some point in time will have seen Joker. And uh, I'll probably end up seeing it. Uh, I, I want to try to see it that Saturday. Yeah. So I, I won't have time on the, the Friday night. Oh, maybe on Thursday. Maybe I can go Thursday. Ooh. Not bad. It seems like a movie. I'm, I'm not going to uh, be able to go with the girl, though. <laughs> Everyone is saying that it's like... A lot of controversy. Yeah. Are you ready for four months of this? I just want people to talk about a movie again. Yeah. I, I want people. Well, to like, they're talking. No, yeah, but they're talking now. Like, I want people to like come out of this movie and be like, "Holy fucking shit! Did you see the Joker?" We'll be talking. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure it'll all be productive conversation, but there will be conversation. Man, some of the discussions surrounding this movie are incredible. Yeah. And total bullshit. But I mean, I I, I don't know. Maybe I need to watch the movie. Maybe, maybe yeah. We maybe have to I'll, see the movie before we call it bullshit. Yes. I'll agree. Maybe I'll agree with them. Yeah. What are you up to, Todd Phillips, director of Hated, the G.G. Allen story? <laughs> that may be the skeleton key that unlocks Joker for us. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. It's like, the, it's the only thing that makes sense with his filmography. It's like, maybe this is where it all comes from, that little deep-seated thing inside of him. This was his way of explaining G.G. Allen. <laughs> yes. So Joker podcast coming soon. We're also going to do something for the Breaking Bad thing. I'm will not we, sure exactly what it is yet. Will we get Jabril on for that one? Yeah, Jabril wants on. I feel like Nick wants on too. Ooh, ooh that's a big one. Yeah. We could do that. So uh, maybe we even call Zach. I don't know. Oh I just feel like this is such a big thing. Like I feel like, did you see the trailer that came out today? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do that for culture or something. Okay. Because it's not really a movie, but I, I don't know. That's a movie. It's a Breaking Bad movie. It's a TV movie, though. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Also, watch the Uncut Gems trailer. I did. Oh. Yeah. Looks solid. Yeah. Looks solid. <laughs> looks fucking solid. Looks all right. Mike Francesa as a bookie at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. It's the stupidest fucking bet I ever heard. <laughs> yes! Uncut Gems. All, all right, right. I'm out. I'm You're out. out, too. Yeah. We'll be back with a back cast next week. <laughs> and until then...
Uh, yeah, fuck it. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista.